Invincible Mr. Del Perret, season two co-host. <laughs> what an intro. Hi, everyone. Hi, Shauna. You know, I decided to go a little bit bigger since we went a little bit bigger. I was thinking of calling this the beginning of season three, but I realized we're not there yet. We have to finish logical reasoning, but we are on video for the first time. Yeah, it's very exciting. This yeah. is new. Yeah, you know, uh, exciting is one word. You know, it's a funny thing about <laughs> stress, whether it's scary things coming or exciting things coming. Sometimes they kind of all feel the same way. You still have to prepare for the pressure of it all. This is what happens when you hire a business manager and Spotify starts saying, hey, video video podcast, you got to video your podcast. So here we are trying it out, pressing shirts, making sure we're crisp and clean. Here we are on video. So yeah. welcome to Ginsburg Advanced Tutoring. This is where the magic happens. We never really got to meet in person, though, did we? No. Um, Sean and I worked entirely over video um, for the whole time that I've been, um, you know, tutoring and doing admission stuff. Yeah. This yeah. is the first time we've been in person to even record a podcast, audio or video. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So this, Trudell, is where the magic happens. We've got some, you know legal things back here. These are just bar memberships and things like that. And uh, this is where I do all my virtual tutoring. And this is my printer. I mean, that's, that's the view. <laughs> you might also get to see um, the nerdiest bookshelf. I very rarely get to go vertically with my books. And I've never not had bowed bookshelves. I, I also have them lined up against the wall here. You know, it's one of the perks of being an English teacher, I guess, is that Everything is a classic, so you can't get rid of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there are things I can't put in the little mini library in the community. I can't donate them out because then I'll lose a classic. <sighs> it's tough. It's an impressive collection. Um, it, it looks like a lot of, like, all of the things that I read in English class and then also just, like, some of my own personal favorites. Really? Um, yeah. Do you have a it's favorite cool. on the wall over here? Um, well, I, y- you guys can't see this, so sorry. We, we might figure that out later, but... um. Madame Bovary, I remember reading, and I thought that was really interesting. And I took Madame Bovary, and I, this was like long ago when I was doing lots of like fiction reading in English yeah. classes, but um, I combined it with um, Zora Neale Hurston's Their yeah, Eyes Are Watching God. God. Yeah, and I sort of like compared and contrasted them and talked about like the female experience and all that kind of stuff. So, so that was my favorite book to teach of all times. Really? And I taught it down in Augusta, Georgia after graduating from Duke. And I played a little trick on my students. I, uh, well, what really happened, I mean, it wasn't rooted in a trick, but what really happened is I was driving to school and it was a beautiful sunrise. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I showed up in school and I just made up this story and I told them that, um, I had, uh, been like staring up at the sky and I didn't realize that the light had turned green. Somebody pulled up next to me and asked, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching God. And they all believed me. (laughs) (laughs) We had a good time. (laughs) Oh yeah. I can imagine. Um, It's a great book. I I hope everybody, everybody watches it. Uh, And I say watches it because Oprah Winfrey turned it into made-for-TV movie starring Halle Berry. Okay. I would watch that. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. Yeah, I haven't but, seen it. you know, you can also read it or listen to it because we mm-hmm. try to get it in every which way. Mm-hmm. So this isn't actually the beginning of season three. We're trying to finish up season two. We have parallels left. 
exciting, I fun think stuff. So. You know, they're actually we we're not doing this as a MythBuster today, so I'll just say, oddly, uh, most tutoring and testing companies teach students to not do parallels. What do you mean? Like they don't talk about them at all? They say we recommend omitting them. Like they just teach people to not complete that question. They teach people to not complete the question. Ooh, and so why? Uh, because it's time consuming the way that other people teach it. Mm-hmm. Now, truth be told, that was what I was kind of taught that there's no hard, uh, there's no easy or, or short or efficient way to tackle parallels. And so the best thing to do is to skip them or wait and do them at the end. Um, so that to me was a challenge, you know, after 10,000 hours of tutoring, we've finally figured out a really efficient way to tackle them. And interestingly, if you parallel the reasoning, parallel the flaw exactly the same way, I actually think parallel the flaw is arguably easier because the way that you flaw logic is quite obvious if you know to look for it. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be talking about that today. We have some myths to bust, of course, um, on the other side of this, we've got a resolve and explain lesson. And then, bippity boppity boo, we're done with season two. <laughs> <laughs> the whole podcast won't rhyme, we promise. <laughs> I make no promises. <laughs> All right, so fair glad, enough. But I'm so glad I didn't end that sentence with orange or purple, because are those the unrhymable words? Well, okay, so I actually watched this thing about how Eminem has talked about how orange is not unrhymable. He thinks that it's rhymable, huh. um, which is really fascinating. He's, in general, just a fascinating person. He has, like, really interesting ways that he sort of, like, thinks about words and raps and puts things together. Um, it's very impressive. But, yeah, orange can be rhymed, apparently, according to Eminem. Look at us busting so, myths yeah. today. I know. Not even LSAT-related. Yeah. All right, well, let's um, bust a myth and we'll get into some parallels. So, myth, personal statements should never include topics about issues or events before college. Ooh, what a myth. <laughs> so, um, I mean, this is obviously a myth as we are talking about it, but to bust it, I think one of the things that you had me actually do when I was working on my personal statement was um, to do kind of like a good, bad, and ugly exercise where I wrote out a lot of things that had happened to me and a lot of those things are from before college. I would say most of them because that's when I think a lot of your sort of formative experiences and things happen. And, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense to talk about them and, and to show how they've led you to where you are. Yeah. I, I think that there's a lot of misinformation on Reddit and, and maybe some consultants have, have spread this as some sort of general rule. And I could see where it morphs from the idea that you wouldn't want to repeat the same thing that you said to get into college. Right. And if that was based on the events leading up to college, then you would want to do something fresh and new. But the reality is that, you know, a lot of traumatic events happen to individuals well before they go to college. Some of it happens in college, too. But, you know, going through a trauma and healing from a trauma doesn't necessarily inspire people to go to college the way it does inspire people to go to law school. You know, it takes a lot of, of healing and we're not necessarily doing that in college yet. And sometimes 
you know, we want to put on the big heeled shoes. And we know that if we get into law school, then going through the law school process is going to give us that voice that we didn't have. You have to be ready for it. But whatever inspires you to pursue higher education, whatever drives you as a human through college and then motivates you to choose a law school over business school or medical school or, or finishing after just after college, not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, any of those things are fair game. Most personal statements that I help students with relate to issues that took place in their formative years. And I help students get into T14 schools. So we don't have any data that actually confirms this negativity bias that says, don't talk about your traumas unless, unless that assault happened over the age of 18. And then it's fair game. Makes no sense to me. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I feel like the other thing too is I get definitely not wanting to rewrite or reuse the stuff that you use to get into college because you're probably a, to your point, much different person at a different place in processing and dealing with sort of your trauma and other things that have happened to you. But at the same time, you know, if you've stayed consistent, if this is the thing that's really motivating you and it's been motivating you for years, I, I also think that's fine to really write a new take on it and, um, you know, have something to say about it. I think that to your point, it's really about why you're trying to go to law school and less about, you know, oh, you should stick to this rule that somebody wrote online. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, more to the point when people are talking about personal statements, you know, they might be using that as a catch-all for all of the different supplements that you can write, you know? And your diversity statement, how is that not going to, I don't know, let's <laughs> say you're a first-generation, right? If you're a first-generation yeah. American, everything that happened to your parents and grandparents leading to the point where you became a first-generation American, how do you talk about that starting in college? It just doesn't make sense. So just be careful. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach to applying to law school at all. All right. Let's do some parallels. Let's do it. I'm hype. All right. So the way that I like to think about parallels at, at this point is it's really a culmination of everything that you've already learned. A big part of it, I'd say, is kind of argument by analogy concept combined with a inference Right? So, for example, if, if I tell you if A then B, A therefore B, then there is an analogous relationship between another argument that goes if C then D, C therefore D. Because, which we, which we learned when we did inferences, one of the inference rules is modus ponens, which says if you have if phi then psi as a condition, and phi is given, then you can infer psi. You can conclude it, or you can infer it, depending on what argument you're kind of reading, right? And here, we don't actually have to make inferences, but we see the inferential logic being submitted right there, right? And, and our job is to find the thing that's similar. So in that example, the modus ponens example, you know, in the logical reasoning guide, I give examples, and in the, the teachable video, which don't forget, is available to all of our users and we'll give you the coupon code at the end of the session if you're interested in, in moving through these lessons, same lessons that Trudell used. But in the parallel the reasoning one, here's what I explain. Here's what doesn't parallel the modus ponens. If I told you that I only had two options, A and B, 
and A had this characteristic, let's call it C, and B had a, an analogous relationship to A, then we could infer that B would have that same characteristic C that A did. And that might very well be sitting, that's a symbolization of, of an answer choice, right? It could just be sitting in an answer choice, but it's not the same thing as modus ponens. Saying that I have a characteristic of one thing, and that one thing is identical or congruent or similar to this other thing, and then I infer or conclude that that other thing must have the same characteristic as the one thing. That's not the same thing as modus ponens, which says if phi, then psi, phi, therefore psi. Do you agree with that representation that, that parallels is, is kind of like a combination of inference and analogy? I, I definitely do. I think that's really fair. I think you can also, one of the things that um, I talk about a lot in terms of um, especially inferences and other, which is sort of this piece that you're kind of talking about, we're talking in terms of letters, right? A and B or phi and psi. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really about the, doing the semantic analysis too of saying, you know, identifying and really being able to snip out what is A and what is B and how do they relate to each other. And I think that if you're able to really put that analysis together, then it's really easy to your point to see the difference between, um, you know, modus ponens and something else. Right. So, mm -hmm. so what... Trudell is getting at is this idea that I'm symbolizing it as if A then B, A therefore B, but on paper it's going to say, you know, if I uh, run around without shoes on, then I might get a cold. I ran around with shoes on, therefore I might get a cold. Mm -hmm. And when you see the, the first phrase that says, I run around without shoes on, that when you read that, you've got to be thinking, oh, that's A, mm -hmm. right? And that A could be an A in a modus ponens. It could be A in a modus tollens logic that would go like, if A, then B, not B, therefore not A. It could be an A in a modus tollendo ponens argument, which says A or B. It's not A, so it's B. You, you don't know. But the one thing that you can say is, let's call it an A. Let's give it an A. And then the next phrasing I see, let's call that a B. And if I see that same B or that same A, or put another way, that, that phrasing, if I see it again, I would want to symbolize it with that same letter so that I can see for myself that inferential logic. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that's like really critical to this too, and we talk about this all the time, are the connecting words. Mm -hmm. And so, um, because they're not always going to be exactly the same, so we're talking if condition, then right. another condition, right? A and B. And, and sometimes what you're going to see in a question is, in the prompt, you'll see, if um, I run around without shoes on, then I'm going to get a cold. And then in an answer choice, you'll see, um, if I sit in a chair, that guarantees that I'm going to eat a potato chip. And that's really the same thing, but you have to be able to, again, take those apart and think about those connecting words and say is this the same meaning? And that's where I think the symbolization comes in. Yeah, yeah. But also what can come in is this mnemonic that we develop the MITS analysis, which each of the letters in MITS tells you, tells your brain, hey, I have to make sure that I'm looking for these elements so that I can see that that's a modus ponens argument. And then in the answer choice, that's a modus ponens argument that correlates perfectly because it's moving in the same direction. 
That said, if I have an answer choice that says a mix-up of modus ponens, like A, and then if A, then B, and then therefore B, it's the same thing. I just said the, the reverse rather than saying if A, then B, A, therefore B. I said A, if A, then B, therefore B. That still meets all of the requirements for paralleling. I talk about magician's cups and like hiding a ball. And if you want to call the ball like the conclusion, you can move around the cups. The same three cups are there. The ball stays, you know, as the conclusion, wherever it moves around. Mm-hmm. Um, so the MITS analysis or the MITS mnemonic allows you to think about M, which are the modifiers. Those are the adjectives and adverbs that we're using to modify things. Some things have modifiers and then the parallel doesn't. For example, there's one that talks about uh, owners of an apartment complex. So it's a plural, owners, and then of an apartment complex is like the phrasing that modifies it. And the parallel that supported it was just John. (laughs) And that was really hard. A lot of people get it wrong because they're like, John doesn't have a modifier. So modifiers are like, let's say somebody is is uh, uh, likely going to do something or, or trying to do something, right? So the, modif- the the parallel would be something that is also that attempt element, mm-hmm. right? So it modifies it in a similar way as opposed to saying like with certainty or, or light or, you know, absolute or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that kind of bleeds into the next letter I in the MITS, which is for intensifiers, which is about making sure that you're paralleling the likelihood or certainty of something. So if, if Sam may take the test next week, we would have to eliminate something that says Marge will definitely go fishing tomorrow, right? Yeah, I mean, those are very different things. Will definitely, and I think you can, one way to think about this is to translate it into percentages, too. So will definitely, that's 100%. That's, like, definitely going to happen. If I say, like, I may do something, I don't know. I think people may differ on this, but I would say that's, like, a you know, 30 to 70% chance it's like, maybe it's going to happen, but we're not sure. So it's really not the same thing as 100%. You're saying something different. And May could be 1%. May could be 99%. May could be 99.99%. I think what you're uh, pointing out really clearly, though, is is it's definitely not 100. Right. It's uncertain. Right? Yeah. And in fact, if, if I was creating an inference off of may, I would say there's the chance of may not, right? And as long as there's a may not, and there's, with certainty, you don't get certainly not. There's just nothing else. There's plus zero. There's just nothing else. You get your 100%, there's nothing left over. Absolutely. The T in MIT stands for transition words. Trudell already mentioned that. So if we're talking about um, modus talent opponents, I have an A or B and it's not A, it's B, well, you'd have to eliminate things that have the word and, because and and or are logical opposites, so to speak, you know, for lack of a better expression. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, symbolically, an and, uh, it's like a big capital A without the line through it, and the or goes this way. When I say big, I actually don't mean that, because the big A is for all, and the big V is for some, but the little A, the little capital A without the line through it is the, the and, and then the little V is the or. So mm-hmm. um, symbolically, those are different symbols, right? And they're flipped. 
So we never can conflate them. So we get to eliminate whenever we see that. And similarly, if you have a conditional if-then argument and the answer choice is talking about and and or, we'll eliminate it. It's clearly not parallel. Mm -hmm. The S is for structural elements, which also can go into that causal conditional argument. We don't want to conflate modus ponens with modus telendoponens, for example, right? If it's an if-then, we don't want to treat it parallel to something that is comparing two things instead. So... Uh, I already talked about John, which was one in particular that I wanted to talk about today. And um, so there's a few other really important things to keep in mind when you're doing parallels. One, there's a lot of different tools you can use to keep track of the parallel elements. I'm a huge fan of highlighters. In the videos for the parallel, uh, the teachable parallel videos, I, I box in with different colors the different phrases that, that parallel from the the stimulus and the correct answer. So highlighters are great if you have three highlighters, which you do digitally, or you'd have access to if you're taking the paper delivered test, then use three highlighters. Find a thing in the correct, in an answer. Actually, let me say this in reverse. When If you're working on it and not like going back and studying what the right answer is right, then the first thing you would want to do is, is highlight up the A, B, and C elements, three different elements that you find that are, that are unique in the answer choice, or maybe you highlight out the, the if or an and that you see, and then use that same highlighter and go hunting in the answer choices for the same structural elements. Because if you find three that line up, well, it's certainly not a bad answer. And if you can't find three, it's certainly not a good answer. Mm-hmm. So it's a great process of elimination tool. For sure. And I think this really gets back to your point from earlier about like the length of time that these usually take. Like if you're doing that and you're really breaking it down, it's it's way easier to just, um, you know, eliminate the answer choices and then spend the time. And, and I think that this is potentially where um, people actually spend a lot of time if you're building out the structure of each specific answer choice rather than sort of quickly going through and looking for, you know, the the matching elements or the and and the or, it's going to take you way longer. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's that's the big takeaway. Everything that we're talking about, they're like little hacks that as long as you remember the MITS analysis and to go through and check, mm-hmm. there there's these little elements of the wrong answers that are just sitting there waiting to be found. But the elements that we're talking about are often just two-letter words. If, is, or... You know, if you're not thinking about the importance of two-letter words, you might miss how easy parallels can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mentioned at the beginning, I, I think flaws are pretty much the same. One of the interesting things about flaws is the ease with which you can do it, not by even looking at categories of flaw types, but by looking at the structural um, differences. So modus ponens, if A, then B, A, therefore B, here's a bad answer. Here's an incorrect answer. If A, then B, not B, therefore A. It's not the same thing. We were looking for A, therefore B. So the wrong answers are just going to be different variations of of flawed modus ponens, right? And one other thing to keep in mind, and I mentioned this about the magician's cups, the conclusion, if you need to move it around to show the parallel, you can just rewrite the the answer choices to see. So if the, um, and here's the example that I'm talking about, 
there's this question that says every apartment that has a balcony also has a fireplace. None of the apartments with balconies is a one-bedroom apartment. So none of the one-bedroom apartments has a fireplace. You might have heard the word fireplace and apartment repeatedly. So those are the types of things that you would symbolize or highlight and, and match up. We're looking for something that parallels that argument. The correct answer started with no dog has fur, and then every cat has fur, no cat is a dog. But the original argument started with every apartment has a, that has a balcony. And there was a sentence in the correct answer that said every cat has fur. So that every sentence is the one that we would want to line up with the first sentence. And so moving around the cat answer choice so that the conclusions last, that the every sentence is first, it's just so much easier to see that the parts do line up and that that is the correct answer. Absolutely. And I think going back to the um, the highlighting and stuff, that can really help you to do that really quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's end with uh, a Trudell Mythbuster because she came uh, pretty energized about this today. And um, the only thing that I could do to calm her down was to let her know that I, I do have her favorite cheese available once <laughs> she's done with her first video podcast. That's right. We got some St. Andre's Triple Cream yes. for Miss Perret because she's earned it. She's Thank earned you. it. <laughs> and for those who are watching us, it's like Brie, but it's a little bit richer. Um, would recommend. Um, you can find yeah. it in your local um, cheese section if you... If you have a Whole Foods near you, definitely if not. It's a fancy cheese. It is, yeah. Cheese. Ah, true. All right, so let's do our busted myth. Okay. So here is my my myth. It is that you um, have to or should apply to law school, um, you know, either right after graduation or within two years after graduation. So you would be in the age ranges of like 22 to 25 Mm -hmm. um, and older than... Um, you know, 24 or 25 is way too old to apply to law school. Way too old. You can't do it. Can't do it. Um, (laughs) so this is definitely a myth. I feel very, like, strongly about this myth also because I, I see it causing a lot of anxiety for people. Like, I have to apply this year or I have to apply this cycle. And I'm sort of sitting there like, you know, I'm 25. I'm about to turn 26 next month. Um, and I'm working on my applications now and I, I, I think that actually, you know, my, the fact that I'm a little bit older, I have more work experience. I think that it makes me personally like a bet, the best candidate that I could be. Um, but it also, I, I think really gives me some perspective on the process and allows me to sort of apply in a way that I think would have really stressed me out or bothered me if I was applying when I was younger um, and didn't have that sort of perspective and experience. So, um, and, you know, there are definitely people who are much older than me also who are applying to law school. I am, I am not the <laughs> the oldest person that I've heard of for sure. So I, I think like this is definitely a myth. Um, and it's really, again, perpetuated by, these forums online or sort of conventional wisdom. And um, yeah, it's just not true. Yeah. I was, I think I was 24 when I went, I went, I took two years to teach. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say that that often becomes more like the average age. Like you're the average. Most of the students that I work with are older than you. So 
um, I work with a lot of folks who are my age. Not that you know my age, but <laughs> <laughs> but I did have a birthday last week. <laughs> so we're the same age now. So actually, yeah, yeah. Um, and my grandmother, you know, she she taught me that um, once you turn thirty nine, it goes backwards. So yeah, I'll be one before you know it. It's, it's like the Benjamin Button thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I would say also too, just like to finish this up, like, don't be anxious if, if that's sort of where you are and, you know, you're sitting there and you're saying like, should I take November or January or like, I can't possibly apply next cycle. Think about it. Think about applying next cycle. Like it doesn't have to be this cycle and you can really spend the time to give yourself the space that you need to get the score that you need um, to get your applications in order to really crush the application process. So. Yeah, you have to test when you're ready, not when your friends are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're accommodated and you test with 50% extra time, don't you think you kind of just generally need 50% extra time with this stuff? You know, so if everyone else is like, oh, you have to do it in two years. Okay, then you get three. And then if you want to stress, just give us a call and we'll knock some sense into you and tell you, don't worry, just do whatever you need to do to get into school, but do it as well as you can, right? And with patience. All right. If you're interested, of course, in doing the same program that Trudell did or with working with one of us, you know, all of our services are available. You can head to our website, www.ginsburgadvancedtutoring.com. That's Ginsburg with a U. You can do a quick Google search for teachable LSAT boss, and you'll find our LSAT boss curriculum And if you plug in the coupon code GAT15, G-A-T-1-5, and at checkout, you will save 15%. It saves you like 50 bucks or something. And the entire program is $255 for 33 hours of videos it takes you through the entire LSAT Boss curriculum. So uh, maybe we'll see you there. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you again, Trudell. And just a few more episodes and we'll be into season three. Yay, it's coming. Thanks, Shauna. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye-bye. May not always come to plan Sometimes I don't know what to do I just wanna be free Fly away, birds and bees Fly through the trees Right by you, you by me Everything This podcast has been brought to you by Ginsburg Advanced Tutoring. Find us on the web at www.ginsburgadvancedtutoring.com.